Oh, hold on a second. Oh, hold on a second. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Nebraska. I really am. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and once again, I'm joined with Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana. How are you this evening? Not too bad. Hanging in there. Same old stuff at work. It's all the same. And I've uh, been really looking forward to this episode, though. Well, if this is the highlight of your week, we need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it's the highlight, but it's, uh, it's, it's that a was implied. Show. Real quick, let's review. Uh, last week was the episode Miri and had a few comments on Facebook about that. Oh, another one of those episodes where it's uh, people are divided. Quite the mixed review. And I also saw some people were really getting on Kirk for creepiness. Yeah. And again, I think that's looking at from today's vantage point instead of uh, 1966. Well, should we get into this week's episode? Dagger of the Mind. It's a Shakespeare quote. Star Trek was known for borrowing from the bard. This, I think this was the first reference to Shakespeare. So we uh, start off, the Enterprise is uh, circling the uh, Tantalus Penal Colony. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I guess. <laughs> I thought the stalactite jokes were over, but I, I just got to say, I think I think there's some reference there somewhere. So anyway, we see that they are beaming down some materials for the penal colony. They have some issues because the protective force field isn't open. Kirk comes into the transporter room and reminds the transporter crew about the force field. And then he has to give the go ahead to Tantalus to allow things to be beamed through. They do that. And then they say there's one thing to be beam up and Kirk walks away and they beam up this big box. The one guy that was running the transporter walks away and the other guy that was there turns around uh, to make some notes. The box opens up and there's a crazy man inside of it. <laughs> yeah, he was crazy. Wow. He played that so well. And right away, you get the sense, you know, something's not right. He's got kind of a crazy look in his eyes uh, and he comes out of the box and he sneaks up on the uh, crewman and gives him a karate chop in the back of the neck and knocks him out. It's one of the things I noticed in the uh, mid 60s, karate was a big deal and it was always just like a quick chop to the neck and and people went down pretty fast. I was really disappointed when I took a karate class and that didn't work so well. <laughs> yeah. And in Star Trek, they use it a lot. It's just probably not really karate, but just like, yeah, just, just kind of make a, make kind of a karate hand and just go ahead and hit the guy and they're going to go down. <laughs> anyway, the next we see this crazy guy is now dressed as a crewman. On the bridge, Kirk is making a uh, log entry. He's actually making it into a uh, recorder. Like a tricorder, uh, right? He's using a tricorder. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, this is the only time in the first season, and I don't know if it happens again, where we see Kirk actually making the log entry. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't recall any other time where he did that. McCoy is by him. He asked McCoy. Have you ever been to a penal colony since they started following his theories? A cage is a cage, Jim. You're behind the times, Bones. They're more like resort colonies now. So then the Enterprise receives a message from the penal colony saying a violent inmate has escaped and might have been in the box they transported up. Now, did you I, notice on that box, it said something like, you know, sensitive materials and they were sending it to Stockholm where there so, was the Research Institute, right? For penology or something? Yeah. Was the Enterprise at the 
deepest ends of space going to make a U-turn and go back and just drop this off at uh, Stockholm and then go back out on their five-year mission? Yeah, I know. It just didn't really make any sense. Yeah, they were sending it to the Central Bureau of Penology at Stockholm. And then it said NE next to it. I, I don't know what that means. Does that mean New Earth or what, is N, what did NE stand for? Any idea? Nebraska? I... Yeah, well, it's not in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Could be. Well, they didn't have the zip code, so I don't know. Maybe it was Stockholm, Nebraska. Maybe there is a Stockholm, Nebraska in the 23rd century. I, I don't know. I mean, I've been through Nebraska. It is kind of like a penal colony. I mean, you get there, <laughs> there and you, ju- you just want to get out. There goes our uh, Nebraska listeners. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are there any listeners in Nebraska? I don't even know. Do they have the internet? I, I love Nebraska. Really, I do. You can fall asleep and keep driving because it's just so flat and straight, <laughs> pretty straight. The road, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of the things that got me was when you're beaming up a box like that, don't you think somebody would have checked it? Yeah, down like on the planet first, right? Is that what yeah, you mean? Especially if it's a penal colony and you're doing checks on things, you know, so. Yeah, you would think because they had the force field, they had these other measures in place to keep you know any of the inmates from getting out. And here this guy just crawls inside of a box, you know. Bit of a stretch, but it worked for the plot. But also though, the guy just leaves the transporter room, the one guy. Didn't the guy say he was going to go get a lift or something like that? Like an Uber, you mean? Like to somewhere else or what? To, he's going to Nebraska, maybe? What is he doing? No, he was going to go get something to help them move the crate. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, and he was going to find like a vault to put it in or something. Yeah. Yeah, something. So the person that is uh, the prisoner is now in a Enterprise jumpsuit and he goes down the hall and he's pursued by one of the other crewmen. And the guy goes, hey, you. And this prisoner goes running off. And the crewman goes running over to a uh, hall intercom. I don't know what you thought, but this guy looked like he's about 60 and looked more like a janitor than he did, you know, like an able-bodied crewman. Nothing against janitors. Nothing against janitors. (laughs) No, no. I mean, janitors (laughs) are fine people. He was in an earlier episode. Wasn't he one of the security guards in another episode? Yeah, he was. Yeah, same dude. Okay. But he ran kind of (laughs) bow-legged. Nothing against bow-legged people either. No, no, no. no. Especially bow-legged janitors. (laughs) There's nothing. They're a unique group. They do fine work. On the bridge, they say they have sectioned off the level and the escapee is on and the security is called to respond. The escapee ducks into a little alcove and then grabs one of the security guards when he walks by. He takes the security guard's phaser and runs off. Wasn't there another karate chop in there, Dana? Put him in a chokehold and then I think he might have hit him while he was knocking him down. So this guy had some moves. Yeah, combat train perhaps. Back on the bridge, Kirk is held by the penal colony. We get to hear Dr. Adams' voice. Dr. Adams apologizes for the inmate escaping and says it's all his fault. He restates that the inmate is not only dangerous, but very smart. McCoy and Spock have a little back and forth. Interesting. You Earth people glorify organized violence for 40 centuries, but you imprison those who employ it privately. And of course, your people found an answer. You disposed of emotion, Doctor. Where there's no emotion, there's no motive for violence. Those are just great lines, I think. Yeah. And again, we have the back and forth with Spock and McCoy. And it's not always friendly jibing either. I think it shows that they have a complex relationship. Yeah. And Spock was kind of, you know, twisting the knife a little bit of how humans are so horrible. Well, the dude's half human too. Just then, the prisoner comes out onto the bridge and he karate chops another security guard. (laughs) He's got the phaser and he's asking, Which one of you is the captain? 
I'm Captain Kirk. My name is Van Gelder. I want to sign him. At gunpoint? And he really looks crazy. It's just his eyes are just crazy looking. And he's got the stark white hair, kind of a craggy face. And he, he looks dangerous. And these almost and, uh, steely gray blue eyes too. And the sweat. There's like sweat pouring off of him. Oh yeah, good point. Uh, so it's like a panic situation. He tries to tell Kirk who he is. And when he does, he's like, you can tell he's in pain. And he finally gets out that he is Van Gelder. In sick bay, McCoy says he can't pin down what is wrong with Van Gelder. It's not schizophrenia. It's no tissue damage. Anything that McCoy is familiar with. And he says it took a triple dose of a sedative to get him down. McCoy adds, you know, I'd like to study this one. Van Gelder wakes up and he starts kind of babbling, saying some things that don't make sense. And then he says he was the assistant to Dr. Adams. Starts screaming. He won't let them take him back. And McCoy gives him a sedative again and knocks him out. In a short amount of time, this guy's had a Vulcan nerve pinch and several sedatives. Back Back on the bridge, Spock is looking at information on Dr. Simon Van Gelder. Kirk seems surprised the man is a doctor and he was assigned to Tantalus. Kirk seemed to think that he was an inmate there. Don't know why he got that idea. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Like what would lead him to that? Kirk calls back to the penal colony and Dr. Adams says that Van Gelder is testing a beam that could rehabilitate incorrigibles. That doesn't quite ring true. Explain. I don't believe him. Bones, are you aware that in the last 20 years... Dr. Adams has done more to revolutionize, to humanize prisons and the treatment of prisoners than all the rest of humanity had done in 40 centuries. I've been to those penal colonies since they've begun following his methods. And they're not cages anymore. Kirk asks McCoy again, this is just a feeling you have. And McCoy says he's required to present any doubts in his log. And it's up to the captain to respond in his log. So he kind of puts it all back on Jim. So McCoy thinks something's up. Like he, he's got a hint that something weird's going on here. So Kirk tells uh, Adams that he's going to launch an investigation. And then when he's done with the call, he tells McCoy to find someone on his staff with psychology and penology experience. Kirk and Spock go to the transporter room, and when they come in, there's a woman standing on the transporter pad. Kirk stops dead in his tracks. She introduces herself and says, we've met. Spock gives Kirk a look, kind of like you, dog, and Kirk is a bit uncomfortable as he stands on the transporter. She asks, don't you remember the science lab Christmas party? <laughs> He quickly says, yes, I remember. She provides a little more details and Kirk seems flustered. Spock asks the captain if there's a problem. Kirk quickly steps down and says, tell McCoy she better check out as the best assistant I've ever had. So I got to talk about her for a second, Dana. Kirk comes in, she gives him this look and the look is a very seductive almost. Kind of like a cat seeing a mouse. <laughs> yeah, that's that got it. <laughs> great way to put it. And she's got a tricorder and the strap is across her body. So the strap falls from one shoulder to the opposite hip where the tricorder is. I don't know if it was a thing in the 60s, but it looked like she had torpedoes under <laughs> her shirt. There's no other way to describe it. It was just so bizarre. This is a TV series that was created by men, produced by men, directed by men, occasionally written by women. They basically came out and said, sex sells. We've got women walking around on the bridge in these uh, mini dresses that barely cover their butts. That was what they were going to run with on this show. And they ran with with it well. Yes, they so. did. <laughs> I'm not sure she could run. There would be probably some damage, but... Uh... <laughs> 
So they beam down when they're walking towards the doorway. She uh, says, perhaps it'd be best if you call me Helen. This is Dr. Helen Noel. And he says, another time, another place, another situation. So they get into a turbo lift and it starts suddenly and Kirk grabs her in kind of a protective way. Because the elevator suddenly just like starts to drop. Dropped, yeah. And he just jumps on her kind of. And then he says, we're going down quite a way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I did not pick up on that. Wow. Reminds me of the Aerosmith song, you know, where they're in the elevator and... Yeah, loving an elevator. Yeah, but so, but she says something down. like... Um, oh, going down, Mr. Tyler. Once again, produced, directed, starring. It's all about the men and what they wanted to see back then. So the door to the turbo lift opens and there's Dr. Adams. He's wearing a uh, pajama looking jumpsuit type thing. And he's got the sun insignia on it and a hand that's either holding a bird or letting a bird go on his chest. To me, it uh, looked like... It the hand was about to smash it. Like, he's just going to crush it <laughs> between the forefinger and the thumb. And the thumb was like was as huge. long as huge. It was like as long as the hand. It was just the stupidest yeah. looking insignia I've ever seen. I was not impressed. So Kirk introduces Dr. Helen Noel and shakes hands with Adams. Adams is very kind, warm, friendly, seems happy to see them there. And then the woman enters the room. Her name is Letty. Yeah. She's kind of got a blank look to her. Kirk talks a little woman and asks about her past. Before you came here. I was another person. Malignant. Hateful. May I ask what crime you committed? Does it matter? That person no longer exists? Adam says it's not necessary for people to carry their past. Believe it is better to live in the present. Dr. Noel says it's standard psychotherapy. So this woman was a former patient who's now like an assistant. That's right. And it's interesting, too. The name Lethe is a reference to the river of forgetfulness in Greek mythology. Yeah. The writer of this episode really knew his Greek mythology, I believe. We're going to assume most people watching the show would not have known this. I didn't know it until I read it. Uh, The same thing with the quote, Dagger of the Mind, coming out of Macbeth and uh, some other references to Greek mythology was, I, I found that really pretty cool. So uh, they share a drink and uh, Lethe stands behind them. She's just unmoving and Adams makes a toast. To all mankind, may we never find space so vast, planets so cold, heart and mind so empty that, that we cannot fill them with love and warmth. So right away, you think this guy's like on the level. Yeah, and and that is a great line. I'm going to use that in some of my uh, speeches at work. So. <laughs> yeah, you might have to use some other lines too, but uh, and you might have to. I was going to say break out the stalactite, but I can't. I can't bring that up anymore because that joke is too old now at this point. They walk through the facility and everyone's walking around smiling like they just got happy. They pass by a room and Kirk stops. Adam says, "I thought you might ask about this." Then he adds, "One doesn't like to talk about their personal failures." Adam. And then agrees to show them the room. We go back to the ship. Van Gelder says something about the neural neutralizer. Spock leans in and asks him to explain it. And Gelder says, door, control panel. And he's like on a raving. Then he looks up above him and starts screaming, the light. Spock asks, what happens there? He tries to speak, but ends up screaming. Then he gestures for McCoy to give him a shot. Finally, Van Gelder quiets down and his vital signals return to normal. Back on the planet, Adams, Noel, and Kirk are looking looking out the window into a room. Adam says, this is the neural neutralizer. We don't expect to get much of it at all, he says. The beam relaxes the mind and makes
makes the patient more relaxed. Some of the effects are only temporary. Kirk asks if it doesn't work, why go on using it? Adam says, hope that it might do more good on some violent cases. Now, Noel starts to say, tranquilizers are fine, Captain, but continually pumping the chemicals into a person's bloodstream. And Adams cuts her off and says, exactly my point. Noel says, this is the type of therapy that's been used on Earth. And Dr. Adams has not created a chamber of horrors here. We're kind of reassured that Dr. Adams is a good guy. Right. And she seems like a total Dr. Adams groupie. Everything he says, she's just fawning over him, over his reputation, talking to Kirk like, you don't understand, Captain. This this is between us doctors. We know what's going on. There's nothing wrong here. There's nothing to see here. Back on the ship, we see Van Gelder throwing a fit and McCoy readies another shot. And Gelder says no to the shot. And I'll try to stay calm. Yeah, because I mean, he's, he's pretty soon going to go into a coma. He says they, they have to warn them. He says, Dr. Adams will destroy. And he finally says, bright death. The next we see, Spock says he must use an ancient Vulcan technique on a human. He says it's only been used between Vulcans and not on humans as it's very personal. Now look, Spock, Jim Kirk could be in real trouble. Will it work or not? Could be dangerous. Spock says he's going to perform the Vulcan mind melt. Right. Wow. And and this is the first time we actually see this in any of the episodes. The other thing, too, about this mind meld is I was reading that they originally were thinking of some type of like hypnosis, but the, the producers were worried that if they did some type of hypnosis, that the audience would get hypnotized. And they thought, oh, we can't do that. I'm thinking like, come on, really? <laughs> the audience isn't going to get <laughs> hypnotized. But they were actually worried about that. Back on the planet, Kirk comes into the quarters where Noel is staying. He asks what she thought of the inmates they saw today. She's kind of watching him. He, he goes directly in the middle of her room and, and she's thinking, he's not here to ask me questions. You could just see the look on her face is like, ah, I've got him. She says you could have waited till tomorrow to ask me this. And he just says, I didn't, which I thought was a great reply. Kirk is showing his fortitude here. Noelle says the patients were happy, well adjusted, and Kirk says, but a bit blank. She starts to argue with him and Kirk says he'd like to see that room again. In the meantime, Spock and Van Gelder are doing the mind meld. Van Gelder says he can, uh, referring to Adams, he can reshape any mind he chooses and he uses it to erase our memories and put his own thoughts there. He keeps repeating empty and lonely like a sponge eating thoughts. So lonely to be sitting there wanting any word from him. Love, hate, live, die. Such agony. So empty. The mind meld seemed to have worked and they got some great information. Kirk and Noel, when we get back to the planet, are in the neural neutralizer room. I have no desire to damage my brain. Can this be handled with reasonable safety, yes or no? Yes. And will you be able to determine if that beam is harming me in the slightest? Yes, Captain. I know my profession. Hold on, I got a problem with this though. Okay, so the room's just unlocked. I mean, they're in a high security, the highest security penal colony in the galaxy and the room's unlocked. There's no one there and there's no like, you don't have to have a key to even turn on the machine, nothing. Anyone happens to be walking by, just turn that thing right on. You know, the inmates are all good people now. There's nobody's gonna go and bother that. Yeah, I mean, okay, I guess that makes sense at some level, but if Van Gelder is saying that Adams is using this 
this to like just wipe people's minds, you would think that he'd have some security around it. And the other thing is, why would he be doing this? Why would Adams be doing this? Why is he just emptying people's minds? What's the purpose? If he thinks this is the way to control people better than using tranquilizers and such, maybe that's, uh, he thinks he's stumbled onto something really great. But why torture them with it? You know what I mean? Van Gelder is saying that people are being tortured. Why not just put thoughts in their minds like, don't do that again. Stop it. Don't be a bad person. Wait your turn in line. I, I don't know. Whatever he would have to say to these people. It's a, it's a valid point. I I can't explain it, but this is where we are. Okay, well, I, I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they run some experiments with Kirk in the chair. And uh, first, Noelle turns it up a little bit. And then Kirk says, okay, I'm ready. And she says, uh, I just turned it on for like a couple seconds. And he says, well, I didn't see a thing. She says, well, you had a blank look on your face. So then he says, well, come up with a harmless suggestion. Noel turns it back on, says, you're hungry. She turns the machine off. Kirk says, I'd like to locate and raid a kitchen somewhere. So she informs him she put that suggestion in his mind. Kirk says it's remarkably effective for a machine Dr. Adams was going to abandon. Again, we're getting this idea that maybe what Dr. Adams, the nice, sweet, fun-loving Dr. Adams, is uh, what he's been spewing is just lies. Exactly right. And, and Kirk, I think, is starting to realize that. They decide to do one more test and says, make an unusual suggestion. Noel turns the machine on, talks about the Christmas party and how they met. Then she says, let me suggest it happen in a different way. Merry Christmas. Captain, if you cruise off, you carry me here. My crew is sworn to secrecy. But my reputation, I mean, just having met like this, of course, it would be different if you cared for me. You want me to manufacture a lie? Wrap it up as a Christmas present man. That's where she goes with this. Now, I know they set it up earlier in the episode, right? They're on the transporter pad. She mentions the Christmas parties like, yeah, I know. I know. I know where I met you. Trying to kind of keep it undercover. And then, you know, she brings this up. Like she's going to put this suggestion in his head. It's obvious that she likes him and she's very attracted to him. And in the chair, Kirk is smiling ear to ear. There's a place for a slack type joke. This is it. <laughs> Good one. That was a good one. Noel gets grabbed by Adam's attendant, and Adam goes up to the controls and says, Captain Kirk will get a full demonstration to remove any doubts from his mind. And he turns the machine up and says, you're madly in love with Helen. You'd lie, steal, cheat, destroy your career. He says, you'd loved her for years. And he turns up the machine and says, now she's gone. And Kirk is all of a sudden in agony. He's like, no, don't leave, Helen. I love you. Don't leave. Adams turns up the beam and tells Kirk to drop his phaser on the floor. Kirk hesitates that and Adam says the pain increases unless you obey me. He then tells Kirk to drop the communicator on the floor. Kirk, being the stalwart guy that he is, tries to open the communicator. And when he tries to call the Enterprise, Adam really ramps up the beam. We see him in pain and then we cut to a commercial. Kirk wakes up in his room. Helen is there and she's wiping his brow. Kirk wakes up and sees her and starts saying how he's loved her for years. She tries to get him to remember that Adam has put all those thoughts in his head. And he kind of like fights with himself a little little bit. Uh, you can see him struggling. Then he says, I remember. She backs up near a vent. He starts trying to pull the vent off the wall, the vent screen. She's like, what are you doing? And he says, if we can reach the power source, you can shut down the power. And then he says, but it's uh, it's very dangerous. It says mega voltage. She says, anything's better than Adam's treatment room. Yeah. Okay. So oh. let's get into this. Let's get into this little <laughs> thing here. One, why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he go down the ventilator shaft? He thinks he's going to be called back to the doctor's office. Shortly 
after she gets into the vent, the do- his door opens and Kirk says, and there's two guards there. And Kirk says, more treatment, I presume, and walks out with the guards. Yeah, but th- yeah. they don't see that she's gone. I mean, come on. Okay, that's one thing. The other thing, <laughs> sorry, I'm really picking this episode apart. He's like, help me open this vent. Help me pull on this vent. And it, it's really clear that the vents, you, you could easily just with one finger open the vent, but she kind of helps him open the vent. He's like, okay, go go find the power source or whatever it is. And he closes the vent. She's crawling down the ventilator shafts and trying to figure out where the power source is. And she gets to a vent and she just yeah. pushes it open. Like that's like it's nothing. Why did that one open? That's in one of the most sensitive parts of the, the penal colony, which is their power source for the freaking force field. And she can just like tab it and push it open. Again, doesn't make sense to me. So, as I mentioned before, the door opens up to Kirk's quarters and two guards appear and Kirk says, time for another treatment and just follows the guards out. In the neuro neutralizer room, Kirk is once again the chair and Adams has the beam on him. Adams is saying, you believe in me, you trust me. Kirk answers yes and repeats Adams' words. Lethe comes in and says the woman doctor is gone. He says, notify security and he turns back to Kirk and asks where she is. When Kirk says he doesn't know, Adams turns up the beam, causing Kirk pain. Kirk tries to stand out of the chair and collapses on the floor. We see Noelle crawling around through the vents. She finds the power room. Again, it's a big facility, so I'm pretty amazed she found the power room. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Again, another another thing, another problem that I got, (laughs) but I'm going to let that one go. I'm going to let it go. She finds one of the switches and tries to throw the switch. She can't, then she hears somebody coming and the guards run past her. She comes back out and throws this main switch and shuts all the power down. Just when she throws that, she gets attacked by one of the guards. He knocks her down. We go back to the neural neutralizer room and Kirk tries to get up and Adams and his assistant Eli come into the room. Kirk hits Adams with a karate chop and then turns and punches Eli and knocks him down. Kirk goes around, looks like he's heading towards the control room. We go back to the uh, power room. The guards turn the power back on. Then he goes over to Noelle and he bends over her and she raises up her leg and kicks him and pushes him back and he goes right back into the power cage and he gets electrocuted. Now this scene I thought was actually really good. I, I love this yeah. this scene. I mean she totally fries the guy. It reminded me of when a squirrel got in the transformer outside of our house, you know? The the flashing and the, the arcing and the sound and then the squirrel looked like this dude. It just fell out of the tree and it was just smoking on the ground and the power went out for a while and the power company had to come in and fix it. First thing I thought of when I saw this guy get totally zapped was he looks like that squirrel. Was the squirrel okay? No, God no. The squirrel Jesus, no. No, the squirrel was gone, dead, Dana. I mean, it was fried. It was completely fried. That's a sad story. I feel bad for the squirrel. Well, yeah, I feel a little bad for this. Yeah, I feel a little bad for the squirrel, but at least it got that part out of the gene pool, you know? So, I don't know, the gene that has squirrels chew on wires and transformers. and There's Darwinism even in squirrels? Is that what you're telling me? Well, there has to be. Yeah, there has to be. Or Edisonism. It's a little electricity joke. Sorry, it was shocking. Oh, oh, shocking. Okay. (laughs) Back to the story. That joke was revolting. (laughs) Sorry. me a long night. So we cut back to the ship and uh, they tell Spock the energy field is down and Spock jumps onto the transporter pad says send security after me. Helen sees the dead security guard and she crawls over and takes the phaser from him. She then crawls back into the vent. Spock beams down actually right into the power room. So he beams down into the power room and he turns the power on for some reason. Yeah, he throws some like circuit breaker types yeah. things and then he goes to a panel. Sorry, this panel... 
inside there is the switch to turn off the force field and you can open it just by like hitting it i know he's a vulcan but it makes no sense it just didn't make any sense to me so then he goes back over to the main power switch and throws that and so now the facility is working again but the force field's down but we cut back to the neural neutralizer and we see adams is laying on the floor and he wakes up and he's looking right up at the light kind of like a blank stare so kirk goes back to his room just as noel returns to his room he helps her out of the vent and kisses her she says this isn't right dr adams did this to you he continues kissing her and spock rushes in the room and looks at her like i should have known they rush back to the treatment room and they turn the beam off adams is on the floor next to the chair now mccoy's with them and mccoy says he's dead captain so dana i have another idea for a count that we should be doing and i think the count there's actually two ideas for the count and let, let me know what you think of this so one is the he's dead count or something along those lines he's dead it's dead captain they're dead whatever it is some version of that line i think we should but it's got to be said by mccoy it's got to be said by mccoy yep yep it's got to be said by mccoy so that's that's one thing and then that made me think of the other very classic line has not happened yet but it's going to it's the damn it jim i'm a doctor not a and then you fill in the blank now we don't have any of those yet but i think we should add those to the counts that we're doing i'm all for it oh good okay good because i've already written it down <laughs> excellent so we'll get to all those counts <laughs> near the end of the show Noel kneeling by Adam says, but the machine wasn't on that high. Kirk says, but he was alone. Can you imagine a mind emptied by that thing without even a tormentor for company? Kirk leaves the room and the whole crew follows him. Back on the ship, McCoy is leaning against the captain's chair. Kirk comes out of the turbo lift. Uhura says, we've got a message from the penal colony. Spock walks over and says, it's a message from Van Gelder. He wanted you to know the treatment room has been dismantled and the equipment destroyed. McCoy says it's hard to believe that a man could die of loneliness not when you sat in that room then Kirk looks at Spock and he looks a little bit brighter and then he tells Spock to take us out of orbit and we pull away so Dana what about the woman who played uh, Dr. Noel. That was uh, Mariana Hill. She was in several movies and again, several TV shows. Uh, she appeared in Batman, Wild Wild West, even Mayberry RFD. I didn't realize that she was also in The Godfather Part 2 as Fredo's kind of, for lack of a better word, slutty wife. She was in Paradise Hawaiian Style with Elvis. And then she was also in High Plains Drifter with Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Dana, how about if we talk about our best and worst parts? How about a best part for you? The neural neutralizer. It was a cool concept. And then they tie that in with the comment made by Noel about drugs, chemicals aren't the long-term solution for mental illness. One of the best parts for me, Dana, was Morgan Woodward as Van Gelder. I thought he played psycho crazy guy really, really well. How about a worst part for you? Once again, no Scotty or Sulu. <laughs> Well, Dana, what about some things going on during the time that this show was made? What kinds of things do you have for us this week? The show aired on November 3rd, 1966, and the number one song at the time was Last Train to Clarksville by the Monkees. On November 1st, the NFL awarded a franchise to New Orleans, and they called them the Saints. November 2nd, the Cuban Adjustment Act comes into force, allowing 123,000 Cubans opportunity to apply for permanent residence in the U.S. Thank <laughs> you.
Hey, Dana, should we get into the counts right now? Oh, by all means, Dan. I'm dying to know what counts are this week. Yeah, so we got dead crewmen count. How many did we have this week, Dana? I didn't count anybody as dying. No, no crewmen. He's got knocked out, but nobody died that we know of. Yep, Adams dies, right? But he's not one of the crew. He's not one of the crew. So we got zero crew this week. We're stuck at 19, Dana. We've been stuck at 19 for like three weeks. Then we got the shirtless Kirk, ripped shirt Kirk count. How many this week? Amazingly zero. Zero again. Zero. We're stuck on six. Now, here are the two new ones. The he's dead or some version of that count. How about this week? Just one? We did have one. I think the tally is three. I went back and looked. We definitely had one in the man trap. We had Miri and then today's Dagger the Mind uh, where he talks about Adams being dead. So I've got three. And then I think we should add one more. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. We will get some of those. And they're some of the most classic iconic lines that McCoy ever says. And I think we should ask our listeners if there are any other counts that they would like us to keep track of, let us know, because I'm sure there are some others that would be just a lot of fun to keep track of. All right. Uh, next week, which episode do we have coming up, Dana? Corbomite Maneuver? Yeah, uh, this is <laughs> going to be a good one to talk about. All right, Dana, see you next week. All right. Have a good one, Dan. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-A-M-N-I-T Jim Podcast at gmail.com. Or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. You can find the links in the show description. Next week, it's the Corbamite Maneuver. For Dan and Dana, have a great weekend and live long and prosper. <laughs>